All right, welcome back, everybody. We got a brand new episode for you guys today, back with week number 20, episode 20, finally. That's wild, man. It's like five months. <laughs> I was thinking yeah. about that the other day. It's, it's crazy. Absurd. We've gone so far. <laughs> yeah. it's it, it doesn't feel like five months, though, but we started beginning of September. Yeah, this was just a little passion project for both of us, and here we are, I mean... 20 20 episodes in i there's a lot of podcasts that don't make 20 episodes so that alone is uh that's that's a feat that we've already overcome especially at two hours per episode too like most of the bodybuilding podcasts i see are like like no more than 40 minutes per episode and it's like i don't know i just feel like the information that could be provided for each of these episodes 40 minutes is not long enough in my opinion yeah, there's a. Uh, I saw there's a gal who started a podcast that goes to Empire, and I tuned in for a little bit. And she's doing like 15 minute episodes, and I'm like, I don't think Paul and I could finish our introductions by 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we we the la- the episode before, so episode 18, we were gonna talk about back, and we got like a half hour in and just shooting the shit, and then we're like, yeah, let's just ditch that idea. And it's like we would have never have done anything. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, the 15 minutes is definitely not enough. I mean, even 40 is like really pushing it. Cause like, if you're doing a YouTube video and you're, you're presenting one topic in particular, that's one thing, but it's like, you know, we're, we're talking about a vast topic typically. So like back, you know, talking about your overall back, it's not like we're talking about the results of anandrol on an eight week study, you know, that can be 15 yeah. minutes, but like talking about something so big uh 40 minutes is definitely not enough time that's for sure or even just like for the 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 past couple episodes we've been doing the series of hypertrophy essentially um like we provide a little bit of like you know scientific backing but then the anecdotal data alone takes us like a half hour each just to get through because we've been in the gym a while (laughs) yeah we have experienced very very different things so yeah it does take a bit and, you know, two hours is a decent amount of time. I think that's plenty of time for podcasts. I mean, a, a, the biggest podcast, you know, they're running like over three hours per episode. Like, that's why I don't have the time to listen to Joe Rogan anymore because I'm like, dude, I can't, I don't got time for a four and a half hour podcast episode. Are you shitting me? I'll, I'll watch clips. I'll watch the highlights. <laughs> and he's pumping out five of those a week. So Yeah, it's ridiculous. I'm like, how do you have time for this? And he talks about how he reads <laughs> the books of these people that he's going to have on and like researches them and shit. And I'm like, how do you have time for anything? Like Jamie has to be involved in that. He has to be like doing I mean, it's a team. the work. Yeah, it's definitely a team of people. I know that for sure. Um, it, it's got to be because they're they're doing marketing. They're doing logo design. They're doing advertisements. Like he's got to have at least like a couple marketing people um, that manage like partnerships and manage um his advertisements and stuff like that and like it's he's all, got a whole team it's all through athletic greens <laughs> yeah that's all that's fucking all his ads are now is athletic greens i'd be surprised if his team is less than 10 people though i mean to like run that podcast because that's his main source of income and if it was me with the money he has i'd invest in people so that all i had to do was like maybe read a book and then record the podcast that's what i would do I mean, Spotify alone has given him what, like, ten million a year, something like that. Oh, like, it's way more than that. Way more than that. Let me let me look that up. I know the um, big contract is worth like, I don't know. I I thought it was sixty million for the big contract. I might be wrong, but oh no, it's retarded. It's nowhere near that. Yeah. So Spotify paid Joe Rogan at least two hundred million 
to host the Joe Rogan Experience exclusively on its platform, according to New York Times. Double the Wall Street Journal's initially reported figure of 100 million. So this is back in February 2022, and when they reported 200 million at least. That's that's all they know is at least 200 million. And the thing is too, like Joe is so set, like he has such a large audience that if Spotify, because a lot for the entire time of him being on Spotify, uh, his people or not his people, Spotify's people have tried canceling him. They've tried getting him off Spotify and it's constant. But if Spotify ever were to terminate that, that contract when it's up, and he goes to any other service, he's making just as much money to go to those. Other, like if he went to like Absolutely. Apple podcasts, they're going to drop like nine figures just to get him onto that podcast because he has his, he has his pick of the litter. So he's going to have them bid against each other to have the, him on their podcast. So if Spotify doesn't keep them, like they're fucked, honestly. Yeah. And <laughs> as far as podcasts go, like they're over. So it's he's such a good spot right now and it's i mean i think it's well deserved i think he's a really hard worker and i think he has deserved all the success that he's earned in life um some of his opinions obviously is very controversial and whether or not i agree with everything he says is up in the air but uh you know good for him well the one thing the one thing that i take away from because i listen to rogan at least one (laughs) so he puts out like five of those a week so i listen to at least one a week i can't do all five but i listen to at least one a week and the one thing that I take away constantly from his stuff is that I learn how to become a better interviewer because especially yeah. in our podcast, how we talk to each other, you have a lot more knowledge in the scientific side of things and when it comes down to crunching numbers and whatnot. So I really focus on learning how Rogan picks his questions and picks his times for his questions to enhance the conversation. And he is yeah. a fucking magician at that shit. <laughs> yeah, he's very he's very good at that. And it's almost like borderline like um like he doesn't have one, but it's almost like he's like a journalist. Like he's like a, has like a journalist degree because he's he's been asking questions for so long in so many different episodes. Like experience is better than any schooling can ever get. So yeah. I bet you he can run circles around most journalists when it comes to interviewing. Uh so it's it's very interesting to see that. And I mean, I'll watch only when he has very specific guests on. Um, you know, like I watched like the more plates, more days episodes that he's had and all the bodybuilders and even some of like the nutrition guys, um, who are like on the extreme side. Um, there's that carnivore doctor that he had, uh, on and, you know, I watched that. So always listen to the, whenever Andrew, uh, Huberman goes on anytime he goes on. (laughs) Um, I don't watch a lot of Huberman's content himself, but I've watched what he's on other people's content. That's what I like. Um, but yeah, that's when I listen to Joe. It's not constant. I mean, sometimes I'll watch like a comedian that I like, like when you had Louis C.K. on there, I, I listened. Yep. Um, you know, Andrew Schultz, I listen to that one. Uh, but it, it's just certain episodes I watch. I don't watch all of them, that's for sure. Jordan Peterson, that was a very good episode. His recent Jordan P- Peterson one, that was a couple months ago. That was a very good episode. Mm. But yeah, hopefully we can um, get to the point with this series, you know, with that with our podcast. To, to <laughs> when we look up that $200 million Spotify contract. <laughs> yeah, for real. I, I'd be like, I, I'd want, our most of our audience is on Apple Podcast. And then it's like, uh, it, it's not too far off. Spotify and Apple for us is pretty close, but Apple is majority. So technically speaking, right now, statistically, we would do better on Apple. 
<laughs> if we lock up anything more than a million at any point, I will drop my entire life here and move down to South Carolina with you. <laughs> yeah, well, what we would, yeah, then we would, we would, uh, we would Studio rent like an office shit. or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we'd actually invest <laughs> some money, but that would take a long time. And I think that, um, at least until then, if we ever get to that point, I just enjoy doing this. So if you guys are listening, this is just a fun project for us. This is just something for us to enjoy doing. It's an outlet for us. This is where it all started. You know, it's just us being able to talk and, you know, if you want to listen, great. If you don't, that's up to you. Uh, but it's like, you know, I'm not bothering so many people with all this information because before the podcast, I want to talk about it and have nobody, like I talked to you about it, but we wouldn't sit down for two hours and talk about it. So this is our yeah. outlet now to talk about the, these, these topics and, uh, you know, vent and, you know, get this stuff off our chest. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's a good, it's a good thing for us to have. And, uh, I really enjoy doing it now that we got the video involved. Uh, you know, we're editing that we got the, you know, audio editing and everything involved. We got the website going, it's, it's fun. So, um, it's a project for us and, if you guys spread the word and spread, you know, more listeners, it'd be easier for us to keep uploading, um, to keep this going. Uh, so, uh, definitely spread the word and have some more listeners. Cause then we would be more motivated, but it's definitely for us. I think that's, that's, that's our biggest thing is that we got to make sure that no matter what this podcast is for us, you know, and, yeah. um, regardless of, you know, wherever it goes one day, uh, we got to just enjoy it. And if we're not enjoying it, then we shouldn't be doing it anymore passion it, it's a passion pro, passion project at heart and then yeah. out of nowhere international audience is like hey what's up <laughs> yeah we got we got some good concentration in the uk so uh let me, let me pull UK that up people let me see what yeah, the what's numbers the, what's are right the statistics now. all right um dashboard see if i pull on. it up on my Open phone up. um 12 percent right, of our listeners in the uk yeah, wild. We United States is only seventy six percent. That's wild. Yeah, so a quarter of our countries? listeners are international. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, crazy amount of countries. Latvia, Latvia. what's up, baby? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, we got, we got, we got one uh, percent Ukraine. They're taking the time out of their day, getting shelled oh, right now man. to listen to us. <laughs> Hope you guys are okay over there in the Ukraine. If you're listening, for real. Hope hope you're still yeah, hitting yeah. the gym at some time. Yeah, if you guys are able to, you got something at home or something like that. Some resistance bands. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Resistance bands. <laughs> oh yeah, that was not intentional. <laughs> Un unintentional pun right there. Got him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, um, one thing I wanted to address. So we're going to be talking about uh, arms and shoulders today, and ultimately how to build them. Uh, because at least from at least from my experience, so delts is not quite the same, but arms are very genetic based, in my opinion. Um, it's much like calves uh, or traps. Like it's your whether or not you're going to build them is up to your genetics. Um, obviously, you got to put in the work and everything to build them. Uh, delts is a different story, which we're going to be talking about in a bit. But one thing I want to address: there's this bodybuilder, pretty famous bodybuilder, recently that posted on Instagram. He was upset that people had an opinion of his physique, um, you know, saying this or that or how he should be altering it or how he should be doing this and that. And it's like, I just want to say that I understand where he's coming from because he's saying, okay, look, you know, I'm he he's to the degree where he's competing in the Olympia and he's been doing this for a very long time. And everything that anybody has ever said to him as far as critiquing his physique, he's heard before. Uh, so I can understand that he gets frustrated by it. Uh, especially when you put in all this work and effort and 
you could just get shot down by someone you don't even know. But the thing is, is that you're competing in a sport that's entirely opinion-based, entirely subjective. That's the beauty of this sport is that one person's physique is um, is perfect, but then somebody else's physique to them is not nearly as good. But I might th- find that second person to be perfect and the first person to be not as good. That's the beauty of this. It's subjective. It's entirely subjective. Um, you know, much like food is. You know, if you're a food critic or something like that, it's all subjective. So granted, if a food critic trashes on a restaurant, it's because that food critic did not like the experience. But then you might have a food critic who really enjoys the restaurant, but then disagree with something else that the other food critic said. So uh, it's entirely subjective. So I understand where he's coming from, but at the same time, it's like you're in the wrong sport to be upset about someone's opinion. Um, and at the end of the day, you need to accept the opinions that your followers have. Uh, obviously, you don't need to follow the opinion. So if somebody's like, oh, uh, your back needs more development or something like that, you know, if, if that's the reality, then sure. But if you're just like, if, if you realize that maybe they're expecting something different, then, you know, obviously just brush it off. But uh, the people are following you because of the physique that you have. And if anybody critiques you or says something negative about your physique, it's part of the game. This is part of it. You got to be able to k- take constructive criticism. And, you know, there's times where, you know, my coach will give me, give me constructive criticism. And if I was sensitive, man, it'd fucking ruin my day. But it's a reality, you know? Like if he's like, oh, you're building fat, you know, here and there, you're kind of looking a little little fluffy here. It's like, that's just the reality. And if you can't take that construct- constructive criticism, you should not be competing in bodybuilding. You know, if it's an opinion-based, like uh, for football, that's a little different because it's a team sport. You're working together. It's whether or not, like how you do as a player is less important than how the team does. So if, if somebody has an opinion on how you're playing, especially if that person doesn't play football, that's a different story. But we're talking about, you know, somebody who's in the gym, probably competing, critiquing somebody that they follow and have been watching for a while. And I think that's a completely different scenario, especially considering it's bodybuilding where it is opinion-based. And I think that's a completely different scenario. So uh, I think that if you're going to be competing in bodybuilding or getting into this world of of lifestyle fitness or uh, powerlifting, bodybuilding or anything like that, people are going to have opinions on you. It's going to happen. And you just need to learn how to either accept them, reject them, or just not really pay attention to them. So just wanted to address that really quick because it's it's just frustrating to me because it's like you're competing in a sport that's inherently extremely subjective and you're getting upset that someone has an opinion. And it's like, that's the point, bro. The point is that we're trying to build the best that we can and whether or not the judges, judges accept it is completely up to them. The judges, like this is part of it. It's, it's like – it, it, whether powerlifting is black and white, whether or not you lift the weight is powerlifting, but showing up to a bodybuilding competition and expecting to win first, but not delivering the same package to somebody else, your the opinion that your physique is going to have from the judges is going to be completely different. So it's just opinion is everything in this sport. So go into it knowing that and go into that. Everybody's going to have something negative to say about your physique. And you're also going to feel something negative about your physique as well. But the beauty is improving upon that. The beauty is improving your your weaknesses, maintaining or improving your strengths at the same time and learning how to hide that when it comes to posing and competing and doing the best that you possibly can. Uh, All you can do is work as hard as you can and do the best you can with with what you have available to you. 
Uh, and at the end of the day, it's, it's going to come down to your effort, you know, talent and genetics are going to go a long way, but the hardest worker with less talent and less genetics is going to be the winner. So that's what it comes down to. And just, just know that there are going to be opinions. So just wanted to address that really quick. Went on a little tangent, but wanted to address that. And if you need any more evidence for why the sport is subjective, just go back to any of our podcasts where Paul and I talk about Ramon, where I like him and Paul doesn't like Ramon. And it literally is just us being purely opinionated. And that is everything that this sport is. Like, obviously, we're not going to see some, you know, PF person compared to an Olympia and have any kind of argument for the other person it's always going to be like the top tier people but at the highest stage or everyone on one stage you're going to be judged against everybody else and that's the thing that paul's really trying to hammer in here like you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable that's that's Mm -hmm. really what it is at the end of the day um and you can the way that i view it too is that if you have any comp or maybe just critique that you get just working out that should motivate you more than anything else like if you take it on like if you take it directly to heart and you get pissed or not pissed if you get upset about it like paul said you're in the wrong <laughs> you're in the wrong ball game right here you mm-hmm. should take that and use it as motivation to be like all right it, there's the famous uh andrew tate audio clip that says all right fuck you watch this and then you transform like yeah. just take anything that's said to you and just keep a chip on your shoulder and fucking ride with it. Yeah, most bodybuilders after a show, if they're if they truly care about their physique and truly want to do better, they'll go up to the judges and ask why they lost and what they can improve upon. And they're gonna get harsh criticism. You know, you came in fat, you came in watery, you came in flat. Uh, you know, you need to build up your abs, you need to build up your back. You're not big enough for this division, whatever it is. I mean, they're going to give you the honest truth because that's what you're asking for. And, you know, typically I don't see very sensitive people within bodybuilding anyways, but if you get into bodybuilding, expecting to do greatness or to, to achieve greatness without getting harsh criticism, it's not going to happen. And you're going to have to live with that. I'm sorry. It's just how it is. You're just going to have to suck it up and you need to work with you know, that criticism and, you know, your coach is going to critique you constantly, you know, uh, it's, if your coach doesn't critique you or tell you things to change or tell you things to improve upon or something like that, then he's not really your coach. Um, or she's not really your coach. You know, your coach is there to improve your physique. And part of your coach being there is that your physique is also representative of their skills. Uh, especially if you're in the amateur world, uh, if you're an amateur, you know, haven't competed or anything like that, like Christoph and I, uh, then your, your coach, his reputation is a lot more riding on your physique than a pro is because if you're building up a pro, the pro is meant to be there. They're already pro. They're already in a good place. So regardless, you know, as long as you don't absolutely ruin their physique, you're going to look good in the eyes of the bodybuilding industry. But when it comes to amateurs, if you're improving amateurs and bringing them up from a, from a place where, you know, a crazy transformation is ultimately what I'm trying to say. If there's a crazy trans transformation and they went from, you know, X and ended up at Y and now they're competing and winning, like that's a lot bigger of a deal than having a pro and then just keeping him a pro and keeping him winning. Um, so, you know, your, your coaches at reputation rides pretty well on you. And, uh, you know, so they're going to be harsh. They're going to be like, look, you know, if you're not putting the work and not putting the time, I'm not going to waste my time on you. And, you know, a lot of these coaches, they have, 
uh, especially if they're a good coach, they're going to want, they're going to have to pick you as well. You know, you don't pick them, they pick you. And, um, that's, it's, it becomes nerve wracking sometimes because, you know, I'm with a coach, I'm kind of grandfathered in at this point, but I'm with a coach who people would love to be with, but because I've been with them for so while, so long, I mean, I'm not going anywhere now. Um, but I mean, he's full, like he can't take anybody else on. And so why would he waste his time on someone who's not going to follow the program or who's not going to put in the work at the gym or he's not going to do cardio or anything like that? Like, why would he waste his time on that? You know, if they're going to come to a show and cheat on the program a week out from a show and come in flat or watery or something like that, like what's that's wasting his time. So they're going to be harsh on you. They're going to be critiquing you. And, and if you have a social media presence, um, even a little bit, you know, you have 10 followers, they're going to think something when they see your physique, they're going to have an opinion. And that's just the reality of the situation. Uh, you know, it's not so black and white. It's very, very gray. It's very gray. And uh, you got to accept that. So it's just the harsh reality and wanted to address that because not many, not many people accept it. You should, I think you should, but the reality is that people think that they're going to be amazing and they, they can't take criticism. And I, it's, it's annoying when they can't, because you're in the wrong, you're on, you're in the wrong place. And especially when it comes to the amateur world and having a coach, like there's a reason why you don't just hop on stage whenever you want, like mm -hmm. the, with the coach's reputation on the line, if you just like, for example, I'm still in my, my almost like trial period with my coach. And if I decided to just hop on stage tomorrow, he would probably drop me the day after because I'm not at all where I should be. I'm not deep in his program whatsoever. And yeah, I'm, I have his name attached to mine with him being my coach. So you, yeah, you would screw, I'd be screwing him over if I did that. So there's a reason why you don't, do that and you just listen to whatever he says or she says um another reason why like i haven't posted a legitimate update on my physique in a while like or well since i picked up my coach because it's just like a mental thing like i'm not going to post anything unless i think that it's something that he would want to see from my page like normally I would post just, just about any time I took a physique picture, which was almost every single workout. And so there's not really a whole lot that can be taken away from that. Whereas now I'm being a lot more selective in what I'm actually taking for my pictures. Like it's a lot more tiered towards, you know, I'm not doing every single pose after every workout. I'm doing specific things to see exactly where my pump is compared to the last day, where my muscle striations are. Like I'm doing very specific things now and I'm not just posting anything willy nilly because that ultimately, you know, would hurt. Well, not hurt his reputation because it's not like I'm not with size or build, but it's not to the uh, standard that he has compared to some of his other clients. So it's a, it's a long process to be able to get back to that phase. Yeah. Um, it's, it's weird cause you're in the same world now. So it's weird getting a coach because, uh, you, when you post to social media, you realize you're also posting what your coach has helped you get to. So it is a little bit different when you're posting, when you have a coach than when you don't, because you're, it's not it, – it, it ties to what you said about the show. It, it's not about, oh, this is how Kristoff looks. It's this is where Alex is taking Kristoff, and that's just how it is. And it's like if you showed up to a show and you did not bring a good package, 
they would go, why, why was Alex okay with this? Why would Alex green light the show? Why would he bring him to the show? And they wouldn't really point the blame at the athlete. They would point the blame at the coach because the athletes, most athletes in bodybuilding just do what the coach says. Uh, that's what coaches jobs are. You know, if my coach tells me to do, you know, you know, whatever show it is and to eat this way or to take this or drink this or whatever, and to train this way, how I'm showing up is because of what he told me to do. So it's not just a representation of my physique. It's also representation of his effort and his knowledge. So showing up to a show like that would be very detrimental to most likely his reputation because they would see it as, you know, him saying to do the show, not you just doing it, you know, randomly. Not that that ever happens really, but um, you're not just representing yourself. You're representing your, your coach. And I mean, even when, um, you know, when I compete now, it's different, a little different for me because when I compete, um, I say I'm, co I'm team comp Tom Cox because Tom is my coach. Tom's the only one I ever talked to um, as far as the team goes. But technically speaking, I'm on team Unchained Physiques. Uh, I don't know if I've ever even mentioned that before on this podcast. It's that You're important. Not. It's not important to me. So Tom is my coach. At the end of the day, Tom is my coach. Tom is my guy. Um I've never even spoken to any of the other coaches. Well, besides Brooks, which I respect the hell out of Brooks, but um, it, I'm not Team Unchained Physiques, but technically I am. In the eye of social media, I am Team Unchained Physiques. So when I show up on a stage, I'm not just representing Tom or myself. I'm also representing Unchained Physiques, which a lot of the time, Unchained Physiques has gotten so large now as far as like social media presence. They're, they're, they're sponsoring tons and tons of shows now, and you're seeing their logo behind athletes. So when I'm on stage and their logo is behind me and there's a photo of me taken with the logo behind me, they're going to think, okay, he, like he's, we know he's part of Unchained Physiques. This is the package that Unchained Physiques is bringing. So it's not just me or Tom, it's also Unchained. So it is a different level, but to me, it's like, it's kind of like a side thought. It's kind of like, technically I am. But it's like, Tom is my coach. Um, Tom's my guy. He's, you know, he's the one who's got me to where I am today. Um, but yeah, so it is, it is an interesting dynamic to have that, you know, coach athlete, uh, coach athlete dynamic because you're not just, rep just representing yourself. So it's very interesting. It's, it's like, it's like if you work at a job and the CEO is your signature in your email, like that's what it's like. <laughs> it's very weird. It's like, you're not, it's not about you anymore. It's, it's about the both of you. So, uh, it's a good, it's a good thing to have. It's very rewarding. It's a very proud thing to have when you start with a good coach. And, um, it's a, it, I was very proud and still am very proud to say that, uh, I, I'm Tom Cox's athlete, you know, I'm one of his clients. So it's a very proud thing to say, but, um, it is also nerve wracking at times. So, um, you know, little, little side thing that we, went off a tangent here, but, um, yeah, coaches, coaches are a weird dynamic. And if you don't have one, you, you won't understand until you do have one. And one last thing for that conversation too. And it's yeah. just purely, uh, I don't know, just thought inducing question, but we talk about how like a coach might not green light you for a show or something like that. If he's not happy with the package prior to that. And obviously the pro stage is a whole lot different, but I'm curious to think if there's ever been someone who got red lighted for an Olympia because the coach wasn't happy with them at that time. Oh yeah. Like, yeah got absolutely. qualified in everything and didn't get the red or didn't get the green light and just pulled out of the Olympia. 
Logan Franklin, first one that came to mind. That's exactly what happened this year. Uh, well, that was a medical qualified. thing, though. Yeah, but I mean, he wasn't going to bring. He could have competed, but he wasn't going to bring a package that was going to do him any good. So they decided to pull out. Uh, Regan Grimes, way prior to the Olympia, decided not to compete. Um, he's under Milo Sarkev. Uh, they decided not to compete in the Olympia this year to put on more size because that was always Regan's problem at this point, which is his size. Um, he had the lean. He was lean. He had the aesthetics, but he just needed more size. So, I mean, there are plenty of coaches who pull their athletes out of the Olympia typically way ahead of time because there's no point of going into a prep for – 8, 12, 16 weeks, however long it is, just to be like, yeah, we're not going to do it last week unless something emergency happens like Logan Franklin. Granted, you know, they decided to pull out, so it does kind of fit your question. But as far as like what physique they're going to bring, most of the time they decide not to to show up to a show way prior to prep. Um, And whether or not they – so that's why the Arnold is also a weird conversation because the Olympia is so close to the Arnold – it's almost like you got to do the Olympia, do like like a rebound off the Olympia, which is like typically speaking, you eat not so healthy. You give your body the uh, kind of junk that it, it needs, essentially. Not ridiculous, but like you're not eating like a fucking bird anymore. You're starting to eat more stuff that your body can digest properly and you're not just eating, you know, rice cakes and chicken all day. Um so you eat a little bit unhealthier and you also stop training for a little bit. I think, I think, uh, C-Bum doesn't train for like a month after the Olympia or something. And he hops off in all gear right after the Olympia. But that's why the Arnold is a weird conversation because I think the Arnold takes place in like March or something. So whether or not an athlete is going to go from the Olympia to the Arnold, uh, is an interesting conversation. I know Nick Walker is going to be doing it. Uh, but you can't like go into a full off season. So whether or not they're going to compete in the Arnold, they have to make a pretty quick decision uh, because it's either you commit or you don't commit. Um, so that's that would be a, that's a good way to answer that question. Is and the Arnold is a better example of that because uh, most guys, especially in the Olympia stage, focus on the Olympia. But now with the Arnold increasing in funding, um, increasing in popularity, uh, I think I predict one day that the Arnold is going to become bigger than the Olympia. Um, and I, in a way, I kind of hope it does because Arnold has been the biggest supporter of bodybuilding since the beginning. And he's willing to put all this money into these these winners and these athletes for this competition. Uh, and the Olympia makes so much more money than the Arnold does. It just kind of says a lot. So I think that as you know, an organization, the IFBB, uh, I hope that the IFBB has more of a shift towards the Arnold. But yeah, so to answer your question, the Arnold is a better way to look at that, whether or not they're going to bring the package that they want to bring or if they're going to strain their body for something that they may or may not win. Uh, Nick Walker is going to be doing that. And I think Andrew jacked, but I could be wrong. But um, yeah, that's a good question. A good answer for your question, I think. Yeah, and that's kind of like how, you know, the Olympia is the big one. Mr. Universe yep. used to be the big one. Like it used to be. It, but it's a progression. There's always going to be that new dog that comes in yeah. in terms of comps, and then whether or not it overtakes is just based on, you know, the 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 crowd support. I think is a big part. But you're right with how much Arnold has supported it, and it's also fascinating to think that you know Arnold in '75, '76, those first couple Olympias winning like <laughs> five grand, something like that, and nowadays. Yeah his 
top winners are pulling in what like i think i want to say it's 60 70 at least like for 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 placement for placement in the yeah. in the arnold yeah pulling in you know considerable amount more money than arnold ever made from bodybuilding oh, yeah. it's just <laughs> yeah like yeah. that that kind of stuff just shows the love for the sport and that's like why i you know you brought up the point that the the passion is why it's going to surpass the olympia and i can completely yes. see that yeah he there is no there is no um money in bodybuilding back then i mean he might have made a grand off winning the olympia or something like that like it was not there was no money um a lot of the guys were doing it to get to other places like i'm trying i I, was, I hate that I'm blank this, but I, the guy who, uh, who was one of Arnold's motivators, actually a guy that won the Olympia, but then became the the first Hulk. Um, oh, Lou Frigno. Yeah, yeah, that's like the you utilizing the Olympia stage to progress their outside careers as well. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what a lot of it was. Was um, it was about like to make the money in the industry is about magazines and acting yep. and modeling, stuff like that. It was less about, it was the competitions were to help build your name. Um, but um, something I'm trying to find the name. If you know, bodybuilding history, you know, there was a 1980s um, bodybuilding organization that was going to pay athletes yearly to compete in their uh, competitions rather than, um, Rather than, I think, yeah, it was okay. So here it is: World Bodybuilding Federation. Um, it was going to become. It was going to be called the WBF. It lasted for one year. Um, uh, founded by Vince McMahon. Um, Vince McMahon, yeah. It was a. It was a subsidiary of his company Titan Sports, which owns the WWF, the World Wrestling Federation. So it used to be WWF. It's now WWE. Yeah, now yeah, now WWE, but it was WWF. Um, so if you know history, you kind of know this. There's gonna be salaries with long-term IFBB regulars to join its roster, and some of the salaries were as high as four hundred thousand dollars, which is fucking insane. So um, let me let me look up an inflation calculator, and then we'll get onto this the actual topic of the day. See, this is what we're talking about. We're shooting the shit for like over a half hour. Um, mm -hmm. So. 80s to 2020 isn't a huge gap in 1990. In we're I'm thinking like double. Let me look this oh, up. Not a chance. It's you want to bet? It, there's no way it's double. 400k in 1990 is now worth 931 thousand dollars. That's absurd. That's absurd. Yeah, that's inflation for you. But um, so imagine getting paid almost a million dollars a year just to compete in an organization like you don't even have to win like this is the contract you signed they're gonna pay you this regardless if you win or not which is fucking insane so like they were gonna run it as more of like a like a, a performance it's more of like an entertainment kind of thing um so i mean that's how high they got i think tom platz was one of the highest paid ones he was going to be 400k um but then there's going to be it's going to be pay-per-view um held in the um, I think it was in Atlantic City they're gonna hold it. Um, but there's a big steroid scandal when it came to WWF and the WW the WBF, the World Bodybuilding Federation, introduced drug testing in March 1992, and that's what basically fucking killed it. Um yeah, I mean, you it, like you're <laughs> you, you're just you're if you're gonna be introducing something like that to an organization that 
is very typically nowadays open about drug use, it's not going to last. So yeah, they introduced it in March and then they were done by June. Um, they only, they only got around 3000 pay-per-view buys. Um, so, I mean, it was a big, big, um, loss in money to the W, uh, to the WBF or, uh, Vince, Vince McMahon, but, um, yeah, just a little piece of history for you right there is that there was an organization that tried to pay salary for the events, but it just, it didn't, um, it didn't pan out. It didn't pan out the way they wanted to. It's like, in theory, it's a good idea because it is a spectator sport. But it, it it could never be treated like WWE or WWF was at the time. Um, it, it's just not a because you kind of put your body through such torture and such hell to get to stage ready. You can't be competing year round. It's not something that can happen. So it just it I get the idea, just the execution, just it, it could never happen. Um, but uh, something you know, a little little uh, bit of history there. Um, but anyways, to move on to the actual topic here, so we do end up talking about it. Um, we're going to talk about uh, how to build arms and delts, uh, which are two very different muscle groups. So obviously, arms is biceps, triceps. You can even look at them as your forearms if you want to, uh, and then delts. So completely different muscle groups, uh, but they're all hinged on your arm. So we're going to be talking about overall the arm itself and whatever attaches to your arm. So um, is there anything you wanted to preface this conversation with, you know, any ideas that you have or, you know, opinions or anything? Uh, well, just for me personally, the my arms and delts are specifically a muscle group that requires spam lifting. And I'll expand on that once we get into the topic, but essentially just hitting so many reps, almost like volume training, because like you yeah. hear like yeah, spam yeah, lap raises and shit like that. Right. And so that's where I think a lot of training delts and arms comes into because you have to have such consistency with it because it, those are, as a man, those are your show muscles outside of your abs, maybe arms and delts are your show muscles for the most part, because if you're in your regular clothing and someone says, show me your muscles, generally it's going to turn into some kind of a double or yeah. some kind of <laughs> you know shoulder move like or most muscular something like that so generally speaking these are your show muscles when it comes to anything outside of a comp so yeah having really good definition on these is really important to what your what the judgment is going to come from from the outside world obviously in yeah. the comp it's a it's a whole different story but like if you're just in your place of work or out and about in public, this is where you're going to be judged the most because your shoulders are what give your frame that width and also can help with your Dorito look. I say Dorito because you think triangle. Um, mm -hmm. And then your arms are obviously, you know, as a male, this is your ego. <laughs> obviously, yeah. we've learned to detach ego at, you know, outside of our place of, of working out. But generally speaking, as a man, arms are your are your ego point so training these to have a good look is pretty big in today's modern world especially with how social media impacts everything so while we might not have well this conversation might not be as you know crazy in depth as we did with like back or something but it will still be just as important because with how much we are viewed and again this is from males if females listen to this, you guys obviously still should train your shoulder, your like your delts and your arms, but you're not judged on that particular feature as much as a male is. 
So I guess yeah, that's the kind of my different. little preface. Yeah. 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 Female judging is very different. Um, you know, women's physique, women's bodybuilding, they judge. Oh, I just, I just went um, in the, in the general world. Oh, oh in society. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> fucking absolutely. Um, <laughs> no one's, no one's uh, going, like damn girl, you got those doubles. <laughs> yeah. You got them guns. You got the cannons. Um, well, we do in the know, gym world, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In, in bodybuilding. Yeah. I mean, that's women's wellness and well, physique and bodybuilding is where women need to focus on arms more. Um, or at least not have a dedicated arm day necessarily, but they need to start doing more movements for arms. Women's mm -hmm. wellness, kind of, but then bikini, it's like almost nothing. Um, but yeah, arms in society is really where people are going to notice your size and shit. Uh, when it comes to the gym and overall physique, uh, it's like, you know, you and I notice more uh, chest and back and legs probably. So the thing is, is like, if you're experienced in the gym, intermediate to advanced, when somebody has just big arms, you think, we think that looks fucking dumb. But then when somebody in society sees that, they're like, wow, this dude fucking lifts. And it's like, I see him doing four arm days a week. There's one guy at the gym. I only ever see him fucking doing arms or maybe like bench press. I'm like, if that's what you want to do, that's completely up to you, man. I found his bottle of synthol. <laughs> it's dude. It fucking looks like he takes synthol. I'm like, what are you doing, homie? There's one guy that used to go to Golds. I don't know where he's at now. I blocked him on Instagram because I can't fucking stand his physique. He totally fucking puts synthol in his triceps. Yeah, I'm not. I don't even remember his name, but it drives me fucking wild. Like Rich Piana is one thing. It's like that his crazy look is like his whole image. But this guy's like a bodybuilder. He's supposed to be competing and he's definitely using way too much synthol in his arms. Granted, synthol is very common in bodybuilding. It's way more common than people talk about it. It's extremely common. But in small amounts to kind of accentuate different heads here and there. But to the extent that he's using it, like he'd be hitting back and his arms, his triceps look like fucking tennis balls. It's retarded. So you know, there's a couple guys in the gym that just over accentuate arms and it just makes their whole physique look very, very unbalanced. Um, you know, they have to buy medium shirts, but then like they probably rip the fucking armholes trying to get the, the arms. Medium. Yeah. Shmedium. And then like their back and their chest don't even fill out their shirt. It's just to me, it's very backwards. I don't like I'm I don't genetically have good arms. I have to put in a lot of effort to build my arms up. Um, so but Regardless of that, I think I'd personally, especially for bodybuilding, I'd rather have slightly underdeveloped arms than slightly overdeveloped arms. Because when I'm competing, I don't want my arms to be taken away from my physique. When it comes, especially for men's physique, men's physique, I want my chest, midsection, and back to be, and obviously delts, to be the accentuating points of my physique. Especially being taller, you and I competing, we have to really focus on upper chest, delts, and traps. That's our biggest focus. So you really gonna throw yourself in the taller group? Oh, I am one hundred percent. Being five eleven, six foot in that ballpark, I'm absolutely on the taller side. Absolutely, um, I'm not tall in society. I wouldn't say I'm they tall. call me the mountain. Yeah, you're six four. You're obviously tall in society, but I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm tall in society, but in bodybuilding, I am on the taller side. Yeah. So I have to accentuate those those muscles a bit more. Um, so I'd say also from. Um, I guess from the the background that I have coming from a skinny perspective, I mm. getting into the gym world only wanted to have arms become bigger because that's the thing that I always lacked just in having size. But now developing into the bodybuilding world, 
it's just like you said it's just basically it's it's almost like an ex like an auxiliary thought because we're so hyper fixated on getting our front and back and then legs just absolutely toned and diced and huge while our arms and you know delts are you know delts we still want huge size but arms it's like you just want them to be proportionate and have a little little bit of tone and that's about it we're so focused on everything else whereas in the early stages you know like that person that you saw working i mean he was he you said he does do bodybuilding but probably has the same mindset where it's like all right i'm gonna impress because i have the guns yeah he's like in his 40s or something like he's definitely older um and it's like if that's what makes you happy then great but you know, we have to work on our weaknesses and be proportionate. You know, ideally we want our entire body to be perfectly proportionate. Uh, we don't want anything to be taking away from anything else as far as size goes or how small something is. So I have to do two arm days a week because my arms take much more to develop. Um, when I started with my coach, it was chest. I had a very small chest. I had almost no chest muscles, uh, but I had very good my muscle connection. So we did two days a week for chest for like a year. And I really built up my chest. And at this point, it's my strong point. So I, I hit chest once a week. Same with legs. Um, there are muscles I don't hit often. I almost never work calves. Uh, I hit calves maybe once every few months. Just do like three sets just because I feel like it. It's whenever I feel like it. And I almost never do traps. I should be doing more upper traps. But my rhomboids and my traps are solid because of the way my engine receptors are dis- uh, distributed. But uh, arms for me is a very, very weak point. Uh, some guys are just built to fucking have arms and it sucks that I don't have that, but it is what it is. And, you know, everybody has their weakness. So to work on that, I do two arm days a week. And, uh, the actual development of arms is usually very different than what people think. Uh, yes, you want to go high volume, but do not, this goes for pretty much anything, but do not just chase a pump in the gym. You don't want to just chase a pump. That's not how you develop muscles or, you know, you, that's not how you actually build muscle cells. Um, just like I've said before, soreness isn't exactly a tell whether or not a workout was good. Uh, same with a pump. A pump doesn't necessarily mean your workout was good. You just got blood flowing. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean you tax the muscles. Uh, you can take a shit ton of like pump pre-workout and get a pump just doing like two sets of curls and your arms are on fucking fire because your blood's rushing so fast, but it's, you're not necessarily taxing the muscles. So for me, uh, most of my sets for arms. So the way my arm day works, I think a lot of guys should introduce this workout or this movement is FST seven. I'm a huge advocate for FST seven when it comes to arms and delts. So it's going to be a good conversation today revolving around that for me, at least is the starting point for arms is FST seven. The ending point for delts is FST seven. I have a delt dedicated day, so they're not combined, but when I do arm day, which was yesterday, uh, I start with, um, easy bar cable curls and, uh, straight handle, uh, tricep pushdowns. It's the ones that I use, they're plastic handles that, uh, they're separate. And they come to like, just like a cloth point at the top that connects to the machine. So I can spread them out, but they're flat handles, they're bars, you know? So I grab onto the bar and I push down with a flat grip um, versus a rope, which pushes down with almost like a neutral grip. Um, So that's my starting movement is FST7. FST7 is essentially seven sets between eight to 12 reps 
with almost no rest in between. Um, what it stands for is uh, somebody made it up. It was a big movement, I think, within um, Marcus Rule, I think it was. Um, yeah, bodybuilding.com, January 7th, 2020. There's an article about FST7. So FST7 is created by Hani Rambod, actually, which is interesting. I think Hani has a full FST7 workout. So it's fascia stretch training seven, the seventh in a set of or a sequence. So that's what it stands for. Uh, anatomy, a sheet of, uh, so fascia is, uh, a sheet of band, sheet or band of fibrous connected tissue enveloping, separating or binding t- together muscles, organs, and or other soft tissue structures of the body, stretch, stretching, stretches, whatever, lengthen, widen, enlarge, and training the process of bringing a person to an agreed standard proficiency by practice and instruction. So it's fascia strength training seven. So it's a seven set movement, um, with little to no rest in between each set. So what I do with this is when I do, I'll start with my cable curls. I'll do my cable curls, swap the attachment, move the cable thing up, change the weight, do my tricep pushdowns, swap detachment, move the thing down, swap the weight, do my cable curls. No rest in between those besides moving the actual attachment, moving the cable machine or whatever, and adjusting the weight. That's my only rest. That's my FST7 start. So I do 14 sets between arms and tri- uh, triceps right off the bat. And that gets my arms to already a pretty burned up uh, space. It does create a pump, but my goal is to stay within the eight to 12 reps. So really the first like three sets are kind of warm up sets where I'm purposely stopping at 12. Ideally the fourth set is like 12 is like, you're like one away from your, your rep, your max. Like you're about to, your one, like failure is like one rep, maybe two reps away. And then four, uh, five, six, and seven are absolute fucking failure. Ideally you want it to be like set four is 12 failure. Uh, set three, uh, set five is like 11 failure set six is like 10 and then set seven is like eight or nine failure. And then when you get set seven up to closer to 10, then that's when you adjust the weight, because when you adjust the weight for the top set, you adjust it for all of it. So it's not just about going from, you know, 80 pounds to 90 pounds for your top set. It's going from 60 to 70, the 70 to 80, the 80 to 90, the 90 to hundred, it's increasing all of the weight. So the overall entire workout or exercise is going to be extremely difficult at that point. So it does take longer to progress through because you need to be sure you're not, you're got to, you got to adjust it from the beginning, not just the end. You got to be able to know that you can make it through the whole thing. Um, so it is kind of weird to get used to at first because, uh, you need to be really picky with the weight. Uh, so like doing FST seven on delts, I'll do pin loaded shoulder press, my FST7 on that is about 15 seconds rest between set because I'm not supersetting it. It's about 15 seconds of rest and uh, I'll adjust the pin, start the, start the timer and then go right back at it. Finding the right weight in there a few weeks ago when I, when I added that to my workout was very awkward because I start off with like 100 on the machine and I'm like, okay, this is pretty light. I got 12, no problem. Then I'm at like 130 on set three and I'm fucking dying at 12. I'm like, okay, I clearly set the wrong weight. So you got to adjust it accordingly. And a lot of time you got to start lighter than you think. So FST7, I think is a phenomenal uh, addition to any sort of arm, you know, bicep, tricep, delt movements, stuff like that, uh, because there's so, so much volume there. I mean, if you added up all the weight I was lifting as far as volume goes, you know, we're talking like 
like probably like 10,000 pounds between biceps and triceps. Maybe not that much, but it's pretty close. Um, between seven and 10,000 pounds of volume because you're just lifting so many times. Um, it's, it's a lot at first, but then that's when that's your start and going into the next sets, which is for me, cross body tricep extension. So the cable, if you're watching the video, the cable's up here and I'll pull the cable down this way and then extend this way. That's how I do it. So the cables to my left or right, depending on my arm, and then I extend it the opposite direction. So that's my cross body extensions. Um, and then I also superset that with dumbbell curls. So typically you'd start with something like that, but starting with FST seven and then moving into that, you're already fucking starting a hard arm day. So that's how I start. And that's how I've learned that my arms build is through that. And it's lower reps for me, actually. It's like eight to 14 reps for most of my arm sets, honestly. And that's how it's worked for me. Delts is the opposite though. It's very high volume. Well, I think that you brought up a really good point with the FST7 stuff when you're doing arms. And it's what we see, at least what I see a lot of personally, is that when someone is training arms and when you to, to get a really nice pump, obviously we say don't chase the pump, but to get a really nice pump, you're stacking volume over anything else in terms of building that pump in your arm. Um, and what yeah. most people, or what, not most, but what I see a decent amount of is that people are not as focused on their progressive overload as well, which makes it so that they're literally going in week after week and taking the same weight. And while they might be getting nice pumps and their arms might be starting to look nice, they're not actually getting any stronger, um, nor are they, you know, building additional muscle into their, um, if we're talking biceps, triceps, forearms, whatever uh, particular arm group we're talking about. Um, so whenever we have these, you know, like Paul's FST seven, that's a ton of sets right there that you have to do and, you know, scale through. Yeah. You can't do that. Like if, if you take someone who's their only arm day is like, you know, just doing like three different kinds of curls for, you know, three sets, straight 10 sets or, or uh, straight 10 rep sets or something like that they w probably won't be able to survive an FST7 right away because they're not used to that style of progressive overload, but it's what you need to be eventually pushing yourself into. Maybe not like the kind of sets that Paul's talking about specifically, but still focusing on your progressive overload because, yeah, you might get a nice pump, but at the end of the day, you still want to be getting strong. You still want to be building more muscle inside of your uh, individual muscle groups. So... Progressive overload needs to be prioritized. And that's just, it frustrates me so much that like people aren't willing to push themselves to failure on an arm movement because of the ego. Like it's far more satisfying for someone to take down 10 pounds and just rep out and never ever shake. You know, when, when I talk about shake, I'm talking about, you know, trying to get that last rep up and you're sitting there just shaking, trying to get that weight up because that's the point of failure. And if you don't have your detachment from your ego, failure on an arm day will really fuck with you. But if you're able to detach yourself from that, you, our goal is to reach failure every single workout. Like regardless of what exercise you're doing, you want to be training to failure. And yeah. that's just, it's a mindset thing more than anything. Um, and so that's why stacking that progressive overload. Um, my arms, you, I used to have a dedicated arm day. Um, 
the co- my coach's plan doesn't have that anymore. It splits up my biceps on my back days and triceps on my uh, chest days with uh, forearms only having one exercise in on my um, back and bicep day. And it's supersetted at the very end of the workout. So mm-hmm. I'm not even focused too much on forearms anymore. Uh, I know Paul and I, we've talked about, honestly, one of the best ways to train forearms is just holding heavy weight <laughs> because yeah, like that it's all grip because if you think of your forearms all of the muscle fibers attach into your hand and your wrist so if you focus on having a strong grip naturally your forearm will because that's actually how you flex your forearm you flex yeah. you flex your forearm by closing your fist and sitting there and watching your muscles within your forearm flex that way so yeah. To actually work it out exclusively, it hasn't become a priority in my plan. But when I do start with, like, today's going to be my back and bicep day, actually. So by the time I get to biceps, the first movement I do is a cable movement. And I will preach night and day, 365 days of the year for 100 years or however long I got, that cable, cable, uh, bicep exercises are dominant to everything else just because of the constant tension you have tension in the positive negative and neutral of the rep just the entire time there's tension whereas with Mm -hmm. a dumbbell or barbell whatever you're using like if you think of a standard uh curl you have weight up at the top but then when you're dropping you can kind of just you know let it go whereas with a cable that tension pulling you backwards if even at the top you have that tension and that's yeah. why I think it's so important to incorporate as much cable work as you can for an arm day. So mine starts with a uh, standard bicep curl uh, cable, um, standing bi- sorry, standing bicep cable curl. Um, and that's just what I start my particular bicep movements with, just because, one, you can do high volume on a cable, too, because you can, especially pin-loaded ones, you can, you know, manipulate the weight a little bit and get yourself to the point where you can do plenty of volume but you can still progressively overload and with the constant tension it's just phenomenal so i think if you don't have at least one cable exercise for your whatever arm day you really need to add one because it's just so again personal anecdotally such dominant to any other kind of movement when it comes to arms yeah it's uh Cables are, I think, very, very good for arms, especially triceps. I think a lot of free weight, body weight triceps is just too harsh on the joints, in my opinion. We're not like try, you're not. Here's my thing. So, to really, truly hit triceps a really good way with free weights or body weight or whatever it is, you have to have really good mind muscle connection. And for a lot of people, especially if you're on the beginner side, Close grip bench press is not going to be your ideal movement for triceps. Uh, I do close grip bench press, uh, but I haven't. I, for the first few years of my lifting, I didn't. Uh, it just wasn't. It my chest would start to activate, my shoulders would start to activate. It's just it's not ideal. Um, so cables for triceps naturally, with the way our bodies are ergonomically built and the anatomy of our biomechanics. Uh, tri- tricep cable movements are definitely superior in my opinion. Um, you also have a much less risk of tearing a tricep. Whenever you talk to someone who's torn a tricep, I would put money on the fact that it was something involving free weight. Money. And 
like I like the actual chances of somebody tearing a tricep from cables to me is just fucking like there's no way there's no I don't I don't think I've ever heard of it so it's just safety wise it's much better for your joints for your muscles for triceps to to have more of a cable focus obviously you want to have an ideal mix of movements but especially when you're a beginner or especially your key movements should be something cable based uh, at the same time rely on your biomechanics for these movements because everybody's biomechanics are different especially for arms the way my arms uh work is completely different than the way yours work christoph so uh you know they they the idea of them is similar is the same thing obviously just like any muscle but uh the what what our arms agree with are completely different uh so for me my my arms enjoy more gravity heavy uh movements uh so like for cable machines that'd be less pulleys uh, it'd be more weight driven down to the gra- uh, down to the ground where some people's arms were re- like more resistance where that involves like four or five pulley cable machines. Uh, you know, the goals I go to has those two options. It has a Nautilus cable machine and it has an Arsenal cable machine. The Arsenal is a two pulley machine that's more gravity based where the Nautilus is uh, kilo based. It's, so it's, it's kilogram measured but it's super high resistance. So if I were to do like cross body tricep extensions, I can maybe do like seven and a half kilos and I'd be fucking dying on that machine because there's so much resistance. You're lifting less weight. You're just fighting the pulley system where with the Arsenal machine, it's, I can do, so seven and a half kilos comes out to like, I don't know, like 18, 19 pounds where my starting set on the Arsenal machine is like 30 pounds. That's my starting warm up set. So it's just the way the weight is displaced. Uh, my, my arms agree more with the gravity focus, but like for instance, Ben Gaines or Hunter Labrada, um, even probably Logan Franklin, uh, the main cable machine, uh, Hunter Labrada trains with and Hunt, uh, Logan trains a lot with him, I think, um, is resistance based which is this, I think it's the same Nautilus machine. It's resistance-based. So uh, listen to your biomechanics when it comes to arms. Uh, for biceps uh, and arms too, it's because, okay, so arms, just like legs, they're separate appendages. So don't focus, don't make sure, you're going to have weaknesses in each one. That's one thing. You're going to have weaknesses in each one. Don't go out of your way to try to fight those weaknesses. You know, don't be changing the weight. Don't be doing 30 pounds in one arm and 25 in the other. Do the same weight, do the same reps. Uh, we've talked about this before. Sometimes just a couple reps might be harder on one side than the other. Uh, but for me, the way my I've learned that my arms agree more with is uh, instead of like alternating curls, uh, it's more straight curls. So I'll grab dumbbells and just do curls from each side at the same exact time. So as if I'm almost holding a bar. That's just what my body agrees with more than alternating. Uh, and I can also tax the muscle a bit more. When I'm doing alternating, I get that rest in between each rep. Um, so it, it's not as taxing. Uh, that's just a, what my arms agree with. Uh, tricep push, uh, tricep bench or close grip bench, my body also agrees with very heavily. Uh, but I wouldn't recommend that to anybody who's relatively new in the gym. You need to ha- you need to be very very confident in your mind muscle connection with your triceps in order to truly hit that properly, um, and also have proper form too, because uh, it is a kind of a weird movement and it's a lot of weight over basically your belly. So if you drop that, it's gonna fucking hurt. Um, I've dropped it before. 
I dropped it was like 185 or something on my on my stomach and fucking hurt. Um, I was okay. I didn't break anything. I didn't break a rib, thank God. But um, it could have been way worse because my top set at the time was 225 for tricep uh, bench press. So could have been way worse. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. The gym owner comes running in. Did he sign the waiver? Did he sign the waiver? <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Waivers are fucking so important. Like, like that's the first thing. If you've ever worked at a gym or gone to many gyms, that's the first thing they ask. Have you ever signed a waiver? <laughs> and then if you're like, uh, yeah, I think so. Then they make you sign another one. Yep. <laughs> like just yep. to be sure, because they're not, they would get sued into oblivion if they got, if somebody got injured and didn't sign a waiver. So yeah, that's that's really funny to point out. But um, and then incident reports. Every time something ever happens, there's an incident report. Um, I fell in a machine once at gold, the Golds I go to, and they had to fill out an incident report. I didn't sign anything. They just filled it out to reference when it happened, what happened, what went wrong, stuff like that. Because it was the way the machine was built, which actually Arsenal came and fixed. It was a recall, basically. So it wasn't my fault. It was the machine's fault. Uh, which is going to sound like I'm kind of defending myself, but it's true. Hmm. It was just it was it was the way they built the machine was kind of dumb, um, but yeah, incident reports and shit. But yeah, so arms, cable focus definitely, um, but also listen to your arms as well. I mean, for me, my body doesn't agree with skull crushers at all. But some people's, you know, my old coaches, uh, his arms very much agree with skull crushers. I love so them. I can't stand them. I fucking hate them. Uh, I just can't. I can push weight on them, but it's just it doesn't. To me, it just doesn't hit the way that I want it to hit. Um, and it's just, I think that there's better movements for me personally. I would never bash on them. I think that it's a good movement, just not for me. Um, and at the same time, it's also very taxing on your forearms, much like how preacher girl curls are when you have a fixed uh, bar you're holding, whether it's like regular bar or machine preacher curls. Um, so that's something to take into account. And I know you mentioned grip earlier. Something to, to do too is uh, if you really wanted to work on your grip, let's say your grip was weak. Uh, one thing to do is on your arm day, just squeeze the shit out of whatever you're lifting. Squeeze the shit out of dumbbells, squeeze the shit out of bars, you know, whatever cable attachment you're using, just squeeze it. And that'll help build up your forearms. Uh, at the same time, something I just started incorporating um, was rope cable curls. Uh, that's how Frank McGrath was able to build his forearms. Um, what rope cable curls will do, it's kind of like a, a hammer curl essentially, but just better because it's not dumbbells and it's going to help target the outside of your biceps and also your grip a bit more than the actual bicep head. So, um, I'll, I'll send this back to you, Christoph, in a second, but the anatomy of your arms, um, let me, let me look this up so I make sure I get the names correct. So the anatomy of your arms, let's say for your triceps, you're going to have essentially what's called the long head and the short head. Um, the long head is closer to your body. Uh, it's going to be the more substantial part of your triceps. So your triceps in comparison to your biceps are about double the size. So two thirds of your overall arm muscles are going to be your triceps. The other one third is your biceps. Um, so the longer head is going to be a bigger focus as far as actually developing your triceps, not so much that you're going to get unbalanced, but um, just enough to to uh, accentuate your triceps. So ultimately, the two heads are called your triceps brachy, uh, break, brachii. I never know how to pronounce that. Brachii. Brachii. Yeah, triceps brachii. So that's what they're called. But the short, the short head is the outer part. Your triceps, long head's closer. And then your biceps 
Um, so that the long head and the short head, the long head is the opposite. It's going to be further away from your body. The short head is going to be closer to your body. Uh, the movement that works in your hammer curls, the rope cable curls is going to be focusing more so on your forearm. Um, I'm trying to look up the exact name of it. Um, it's going to be the break, uh, break your radialis, break your radialis. So your brachialis and your biceps brachii are your biceps that you're going to be building up. Um, but your brachial radialis is going to be the forearm muscle that's on the outside of your elbow. Um, so if your arms relax next to you, it's going to be the the muscle facing forward. Um, that's so for your right arm is going to be the right side of your elbow that connects your biceps essentially to your forearms and then into your wrist. That's what those cable curls can be doing. So that's going to help with your grip a lot because uh, your grip relies heavily on that muscle. Um, ha hammer curls hit that same muscle. So if you look at a bicep from the side, it's going to be that middle muscle and your forearm that you're going to be working there. So I think that's a really good movement. Um, I really like it. The only problem that I have with it is that some cable machines, like the one I use at Gold's, the bottom rung is very high. So you have to lean kind of far back. You have to step back from the machine. But as long as you got, you know, experience with biceps you can hit it no problem i just like it where the weight's more directly below me but if you know leaning back a little bit is fine um but that's a good movement as well as far as building your grip i think that uh you could do an episode entirely by yourself and talk for hours on end about how you like single pulleys compared to uh multiple pulleys machines holy shit this has been I've something that so many. paula talks to me about every time we lift together <laughs> i'm like what kind of cable machine is this okay three pulleys oh i don't like these <laughs> groans and disappointment <laughs> seven pulleys um, one pound is gonna feel like a hundred <laughs> but uh something that is that Paul brought up that is really, really important to hammer down uh, is that, and all you have to do is look at the name, but triceps need more work than biceps. Because if you think about literally just the English vernacular, by, well, I mean, okay, sorry, the, the Latin prefixes, my apologies, by, two, try, three. So you have biceps, which have two major, mu two major muscles inside, triceps have three mu major muscles inside of it. Obviously, if there's more muscles, you need to train it more. And so many people, especially men, again, this I, I know if there's any gals listening, I know your arm days are a little bit different than ours because it's not as big of a focal point in your workouts. But for most men, and most men especially just getting into the gym, when they hear, let's train arms, it's literally like seven bicep exercises. And they just <laughs> completely, completely, do we like... And then they go and do tricep rope pull downs, and that's all they do for triceps because that's yeah. just the stereotypical tricep movement. And uh, that is something that I try. And I mean, again, we never give unsolicited advice, but if I ever have someone ask me about a structuring on their arm day, I'm going to try and get them to incorporate at least two more maybe even three more tricep exercises compared to their bicep exercises i do one i do four tricep three bicep is what i do but i also hit yeah. two arm days a week yeah mine are split up so it's a little bit tough but mine it's it's a clean split between mine is four and four but the intensity of my tricep uh exercises are far greater than the uh, intensities on my bicep ones um, just because my bicep, 
personally, my biceps are fairly well developed now in terms of tone and definition. So I'm just focusing on adding size, um, uh, especially like my vein, like my um, veins pop out re real nicely on my biceps. So I purely just looking for size at this point, whereas my triceps need just so much work in terms of they, there's size, but there's no, it's com the complete opposite. There's a little bit of size, but there's no definition, really. There's no um, protruding veins anywhere. So that's like what I'm working on for that. Um, so my intensity on my tricep exercises are a lot higher because I'm really looking for that particular tonage and continuing to add size, obviously. Um, so just to throw an exercise out there for triceps that... I think is also really undervalued is body weight dips and then building mm -hmm. into if you have uh belts that can support plates doing that or if you want to look like an absolute fucking dog wearing the thick chains and even plate loading the chains um but body weight dips is such an unbelievable movement for triceps not just for building size but also burnout because it's in theory you see people doing uh dips and you're like oh and i could do that all day and then you actually get up to do it and by your third or fourth set <laughs> it is burning so badly to do even you know even getting to 10 can be excruciating come third or fourth set especially when you start plate loading or adding weight into it um so i personally have my coach has me doing dips uh as my second movement in my tricep day um, which hurts me. I mean, it doesn't hurt me, but, um, I have additional tricep exercises I have to do after that, like immediately afterwards. So I have my, <laughs> my animosity towards it. I love the exercise, but it hurts like a motherfucker. Um, so personally dips is one that I will, I, I, I preach this to everybody. Um, but then, uh, you heard Paul mention earlier, the, uh, flat uh, flat bar tricep pushdown. Um, that's just uh, incorporating a different grip because if you think of um, pull downs with the rope, it's in your neutral grip. Whereas with a flat bar or just any kind of bar, even if you put a lat bar on there, your hands are in this pushdown position like this, where your palms are facing down towards the ground, um, mm -hmm. and that allows um, one. I do a lot of time under tension sets to using that grip because you're able to really feel down in the absolute negative um obviously we say you should be feeling your uh, muscles pop out N even when you're not at the absolute bottom of your set you should feel it all the way through and through when you're doing it right but when you have that palm facing down grip and you're in that absolute bottom and you push just a little bit more it's unreal like you're 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 feeling every single piece of that pump and your tricep push down um so i personally agree with that as well um, I just think tricep rope pull downs has become such a cliche thing to do when people say hit triceps that I just, I avoid them at all costs. Almost. I just do anything like flat bar push downs, uh, cable pulleys, like with just one arm and going like a piston. Um, mm -hmm. that's what my coach has me doing, but just anything to avoid the classic rope pull downs. <laughs> I mean, the row pull downs have always been one of the best movements ever created, basically for triceps. I mean, they've been people have been doing them since 
as, as long as cable movements have been around um, and that rope, ta- once the rope attachment was invented, I mean, it was, that was one of the staple tricep movements for a lot of people. Uh, it's a phenomenal movement. Uh, there, you know, biomechanically speaking, if you approach everything science-based, it's not an ideal movement, so you shouldn't be doing it. But at the end of the day, biomechanics is not everything. Science isn't everything when it comes to training. Uh, you just need to listen to your body and just do whatever your body responds well to. So for me personally, um, it just depends. Sometimes I'm in the mood for uh, rope pushdowns, so I'll do them. Uh, but for me, I can't stand. Uh, I don't see the point of them. Is like shorter ropes. It like there's. I think if you're gonna do rope pushdowns with your triceps, they should be like relatively long rope uh, attachments. I, I see um, a lot of people actually attach two ropes into the same unit and then pull them yeah. all the way through so you have almost like a foot and a half of rope to pull on yeah yeah see that makes to me it makes more sense it it allows your body to move your your joints to, to move a bit more they're not so constrained to the smaller rope size uh so using a smaller rope just to me doesn't make any sense but uh if your gym has one my gym does where it's longer it's purposely longer uh, then use that. It just, it, it allows more movement, but also with triceps, uh, something that I see a lot of people doing wrong is, uh, they stand like right under the cable machine and usually their shoulders are kind of up and they're like, especially newer people, they'll like try to get the like part that attaches to the carabiner on the, the cable machine. They'll try to get that part like parallel to the fucking rope. So at the bottom they go <laughs> and just like try to like flex it down. It's not what you're supposed to do. You need to lean. You need to lean back or scoot your butt back. Lean yeah, forward. I was, was, was going to say, don't want to be leaning back. <laughs> no, yeah, I meant like scooting back, leaning forward. Um, and then yeah, you'd probably fall over if you tried leaning back doing tricep extensions. That, um, that's such an interesting thing, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, leaning it'd be kind of weird. Um, and then so you want to lean forward, kind of get your body over where the weight's going to end up. And you kind of want to almost like, uh, if you're sitting down, try to push your hands into your knees, like the inside of your knees. That's essentially where you want it to be. You want it to be in front of you. You want it to be like a foot or two in front of you. Uh, that way you get the full range of motion. If you're going to be pushing the rope attachment, like to the side of your legs, you're not going to be getting ideal movement out of that. Uh, so I see that happen a lot with tricep extensions. I also see people doing way too much weight. Uh, it's becoming more and more prevalent. I don't know why I've been seeing it so much lately. It's the ego thing. And and the thing is too with this is that tricep extensions, especially with a rope, I see a lot of like old guys doing very short reps and very heavy weight. And if it's too heavy of weight for you, you know that because your heels are coming off the fucking ground. Like if you're if you have to use your body as momentum to get the move the weight down, it's too much. To, to add that to that too, the range of motion is not what people generally... So the the range of motion you want for a tricep pushdown is getting your arms in the 45-degree angle and going from there. What I see a lot of people go, they start up at the top and they use almost their shoulders to just throw the weight yeah. down. And that's something that you want to avoid if you want just true isolation on your, on your tricep. Yeah, with that... Uh... So there was a study done. So when you're doing, when you're moving your, your shoulders like that, that almost becomes like a pullover in a way, which I do see a lot as well. That is very common to see, but 
there was a study done. So what you're supposed to do with tricep extensions, you're supposed to keep your elbow in the exact same place. Use it as a hinge. Mm-hmm. Keep your keep your shoulder stiff, your elbow stiff, essentially where it is, and just bend at your elbow. That's it. Your elbow should not be moving. And if you know what you're doing, your elbow is not going to move an inch. And it's kind of funny to see that because sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm like, I feel like my elbow is moving, but then I look and it's not moving at fucking all. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, cool. We're good. So um, there was a study done because there has been debate, especially among bodybuilders, whether or not tricep rope extensions going all the way up to your biceps. So if you let the weight go all the way up and then, so like stretch your triceps out all the way and then all the way back down, whether that's more effective than going to 90 degrees for your elbow and then going back down. And the study found that it's actually negligible difference. Uh, it just depends on what if your body responds better to. Uh, there is no like right or wrong answer there, whether or not you stop at 90 degrees or go further than 90 degrees when it comes to tricep row pushdowns or just pushdowns in general. Uh, so, you know, keep that in mind. You don't have to stop at 90. You don't have to go further. It just depends on how your body responds. My body responds better to extending all the way up. It's just how I've always done it. Um, I've tried 90 and I, it just, to me, it was just too much, too much strain on my tendon, my tricep tendon. But if 90 works for you, then keep doing that. You know, it's, it's just whatever works for you, but there was a study done and there really, the argument is just, it can go either way. Um, so also, that's I how think it, earlier, I think earlier I said 45, I meant to say 90 in terms of, degree. I knew what you meant though, when you said it, I <laughs> yeah, knew what you meant. Just to um, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like squats. Can, I mean, ask the grass. I English. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not math. Um, when it comes to squats, I mean, squats is kind of in a similar ballpark, whether or not you should go to 90 or go further. Um, I think I'd have to find a study on it. Uh, from what I've seen, anybody who goes to ass to grass or goes deeper than 90, typically speaking, has better muscle development. But people who go to 90 can also push more weight usually uh, because you're not going further into the hole but that's also a different ball game because you need to have the confidence to go into the hole of the rep versus stopping at 90. um so typically speaking you'll you're, you have more rep or sorry more strength coming out of the hole than you do coming from 90. Uh, but you're also not extending the muscle as much so i think from what i've from what i can think I've seen more power lifters do more 90 degrees and bodybuilders have a heart higher focus on ass to grass. Um, but that's a different, you know, day. We'll talk about legs in another day. Uh, but yeah, so that's, that's triceps for you. Skull crushers, the same thing. You got to bring them down to your head. And there's also debate whether or not the, the, the bar, ideally want to do bar probably. Um, or typically you do easy bar. Most people do easy bar for for tri- skull crushers uh the bar whether or not your elbow should be further back and the bar be going like to the top of your head or if your elbow should be like 90 degrees with your body and the weight go to your forehead and i think that just depends on the way your body's built for me whenever i do skull crushers which isn't often going to my forehead works better just because it's too much strain on a tendon when i go further back uh and i think there's also just thinking about the biomechanics, it just makes more sense that going further back, uh, you have a higher chance of snapping that tendon right there because there's there's more weight on that tendon than if you, the when you're at the top of the rep, the weight is straight up and down if you're at 90 degrees, where if you're further back, with the, the weight's further back at 70 degrees, for instance, all that weight is just sitting on your tendon, uh, just waiting to be snapped. So that's just the way the biomechanics makes sense to me. Uh, whatever works best for you is what works best for you. Just make sure that 
with arms in general, I mean, it's very easy to tear a bicep and it's relatively easy to tear a tricep when it comes to free weight. So just be careful. Um, and also don't be fucking stupid. Um, the down, one of the biggest downfalls Callum Von Mogra ever had was when he did that, um, that barbell curl with Chris Bumstead way back in the day, like 2016, 2015, something like that. When he did that and tore his bicep, like clean from the bone, I think. I remember um, that. Yeah. So like, don't be stupid because it's such a stupid thing to do that because your elbow, your arms are different lengths. So you're going to be like, your the weight is not going to be displaced properly. Your tendon is going to be taken. Like exactly what happened to Callum was what I would have expected to happen. Uh, So if if you and I ever did that, because my arms are like, you know, a foot longer, not a foot, but you know considerably longer. longer. Yeah. So the bars can be fucking slanted and shit and it's not going to be displaced evenly for weight. So I think I think Callum's a taller and uh his limbs are longer than Seabum, so I think that was his problem. Um so I mean it was just it don't be stupid with arms. Don't be stupid and like you said the ego, I mean, you know, guys would be curling 40s and fucking swinging it. If you're when you're doing curls, do not fucking swing your curls. Do not swing them. You should be stopping at the bottom and then proceeding to the top. You should be stopping. Do not swing. Do not use momentum at all. Unless you're doing like the last two reps and just trying that's to get them I, in. That's what I was going to say. I think the only time yeah. that swinging is okay, maybe not the last two reps, but that last set at the very end of a workout just to burn out. I think that's the only time it's okay. But if you're walking in and your first sets are, Hoy, and I see it so often. As you and I both know who we're talking about too, and one in in are the people we know, but it's uh it's infuriating to see swing on any kind of movement. Doesn't even have to be biceps too. When I I mean I talk about with the triceps with bringing it way up, and I know we just covered that, but swinging in general, very frustrating. It's so dumb. Yeah, it, it just it. There's it's no ego. reason That's for all it. it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no reason. Like, there's uh, no benefit. Oh, did you ever? It's the, it's a video of a guy, and a bunch of people have parodied over it now. But he's got like hundreds in his hands, and he's full swinging and getting <laughs> the rep, maybe maybe to like thirty degrees, like maybe. <laughs> yeah, and he's just and then dropping it right back down, swinging the other side. Um, that like there's you're not getting like if anything that's a forearm workout just gripping that kind of weight (laughs) yeah it's it's just it's so dumb to me and uh like it's it's also it because you'll see like you'll directly see the difference between guys who control the weight and guys who don't and most likely you don't need to curl as much as you think you do um it took me a very very long time to get past like 35s for like my top set my top set right now are 45s. I think I go for like eight or nine. I think I got nine yesterday for my top set. Um, but I'm also not chasing a pump. So like the workout, the movement was very hard, but it's not introdu- It's not like promoting blood flow is what th- that movement is not promoting blood flow. So I don't recommend it if you're looking for a pump, but uh, you're most likely, a lot of people are most likely lifting way too much for bicep curls. Um, and it, it just- It's ego. It's what it is. Yeah, I've seen videos directly comparing it where guys will be swinging way too much weight uh, and somebody will be controlling it and you can see the difference in multiple size. And, you know, it's I've seen it before at my gym. There's guys who swing the weight who you can kind of tell are relatively new. 
Um, maybe they, you know, play sports or whatever, and they're just trying to help with that or whatever. But then they swing forties and then I go up and grab forties and I'm controlling it all the way. And it, it's just, you see the difference. You can see the difference in people. Um, I think the, the one difference too, between that, that we should clarify here is that we're, we're coming from the bodybuilding side of things. Swinging is, yeah, swing's pretty common in powerlifting because you're just trying to get the weight up at any cost. It, it, I mean, like, it depends on. I, I obviously it's the yeah that's it's it's per exercise. But an example yeah. I'm thinking of is uh, I saw a video of bodybuilder compared to powerlifter on preacher girls, and the bodybuilder is going time on yeah yeah machine time yeah, on I know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. focusing on it, and then the powerlifter sits in and is almost using his back weight to help swing the weight up because it's all focused on just getting the weight up at all costs and doing it for as much as possible whereas we were focused so much on looks and hypertrophy and that is directly resulted in time under tension muscle control and mind muscle connection so mm -hmm. yeah it's a little different. i've seen that video eddie hall like reviewed that video or something like he like you know they do those videos where they watch different videos and he like made fun of the guy he's like what the fuck are you doing and then the bodybuilder gets in the machine and he starts lifting he's like there that's how you lift it like that's how you should be lifting and it's like you if eddie hall that, says that, that have you seen that eddie hall is trying to make a <laughs> make his uh journey into bodybuilding <laughs> yeah it's, it's kind I of a parody thing a at this point yeah it's a joke but there's no way He's got a road to the Olympia Instagram thing going right now, and he keeps calling out Seabum. <laughs> yeah, that's stupid. They're, they might collab at some point, but there's no way. It's um, been hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it is. He's huge, though. Like, you see him next oh, to Seabum, like, he's fucking enormous. Brian Shaw next to Sean that's what, was actually well, that's what fucking I was gonna funny. Say. It's actually Brian, fucking funny. Yeah. I was laughing when I saw that. I was like, there, there's fucking no way. Like, it's so funny the difference between Sean Glorita and Br Brian Shaw. Like, Brian Shaw eats Sean Clarita every day just to lift the way he does. <laughs> or, or when Brian Shaw came out at the Olympia to hand out the medals. Fucking That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Mountain next to everybody yeah. around him. Yeah. <laughs> Even like, people forget how big they are. Well, it's because when they're... So Brian Shaw and Eddie Hall do their collabs together and next to each other, they look like regular dudes, which is yeah. why nobody ever thinks... And when they're training, there's nobody else in the video, so they're like, oh, this... Yeah, you can tell he's big, but you can't tell he's like a mountain. And then you yeah. put him next to any normal human or even a bodybuilder, and you're like, motherfucker, this is like a he's giant huge. out of D and D. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brian Shaw's like six nine, four hundred something pounds. Eddie Hall's like six four, six five. He's short for a strong man. He, he looks short compared to uh, yeah. yeah, compared to Brian Shaw. <laughs> yeah, he's short when it comes to strongman competitors. Like that's why he had to stop so early in his career is because. He couldn't he couldn't put on the weight like Brian Shaw or Hafthor Bjornsson could because they're like six nine, six ten and can put on way more muscle than he can uh when it comes to strength. So it's it's wild just the size that you need. Uh and you're right, when they're next to each other, they look normal because they're so big. But then you see them on stage and it's like, what the fuck? Like <laughs> they have to like Brian, there's a whole video he did about buying a suit for his size and it's so hard to buy a suit for his size because he's so big they don't make them you have to get them custom made so and the cost of material is like twice the cost of a regular suit oh it's ridiculous ridiculous um but granted brian can you know afford it he's got a lot of money yeah. i think so um same with uh eddie but uh yeah i've seen that exact video and that's i mean it's that i think i don't know i wonder if that's a troll or not because there's no fucking way that like i don't know it, it just to me it's like 
it's so wrong to do to you how he's he's swinging that uh preacher curl machine like that that it just it blows my mind it blows my mind like it's like the guys with triceps that are like um doing way too much weight doing like a 20 degree movement and it's like when have you ever seen someone else do that bro like (laughs) i can understand doing something a little wrong or whatever you're not 100 sure but it's like you're doing it so wrong like what where did you see someone do that that made you think yeah this is the right way to do it it just doesn't make any sense to me it's like it's so wrong it's it's like saying like it's like never seen kipping pull-ups before and then seen someone do kipping pull-ups like what the fuck are you doing like who's (laughs) ever done that before granted it's like a thing in crossfit now um but yeah you definitely don't want to swing swing the weight in anything you want to control the weight up you know from the top to the bottom negative more focus on the negative on most of these movements, just like any movement, really the negative is very important. Uh, negative is very slept on. Uh, and then at the same time, you want to make sure your time under attention, you know, obviously ideally you want a three second negative, one second positive and one second pause at the top. That's ideal. You know, um, that in an ideal world, when it comes to time under attention, that's what you want. Obviously listen to your biomechanics, but this is what you're going to hear most of the time from bodybuilders when it comes to time under attention is three, one, one. I had a friend of mine actually ask me, because he listens to our podcast, ask me if you and I actually, in our heads, count the seconds for time under tension. And I'm like, mm. in the beginning, yes, but now it's just like so ingrained, like with our rhythm yeah. when we're when we're lifting that. But in the beginning, you could bet your sweet bippy, we were literally in our heads going. I mean, it was timed with our breaths and everything, but you, more yeah. or less, there was an internal clock. Um, yeah, it's like a resting. I was thinking about that yesterday. I was like, I have yep. such an internal clock for rests even if i set a one minute timer i'm starting to lift like five within five seconds of that one minute timer because i've been doing it for so long with with the timer for so long i just got used to it see i that's what i struggled a lot with and um now that i'm logging consistently for my coach i've been using my my apps to to log everything and the app that i use right now actually roasts me if i go i have it set for 45 seconds so then i have that little bit of a buffer so it it by the time that timer goes off i'm sliding back in and it's like on a minute i'm going so yeah but at the 45 second mark it'll send me things like didn't know it was phone day in the gym today (laughs) and that's funny it just does these really goofy things and it's like it gets me to really actually start working out um i will before we move on to delts um for my i just want to hit one last thing for arms um it's what i've been using as a finish so this is a particular exercise that i like a lot um that i've been using as a finisher for my what used to be my arm days now the finisher on my back by day um that my coach actually allows me to continue doing um and i have my reasons for it i'm sure he we haven't talked specifically why he included it but i'm sure he has his own reasons but uh, overhead cable curls. Um, I use these as a finisher for all of my arm days. And the reason why I do it, okay, I'll give you my reason and then why I think my coach's reason behind it. So my reason is that by that point, my arms are so cooked that taking lighter weight and just focusing on so much time holding it at the top, whereas moving it back, because also I'm so fucking wide and tall that my range of motion only allows me to go a little bit in comparison to everyone else standing in between a cable machine. So it's so focused on the actual flexing that I do. The reason why I do it 
and love it so much is that it directly correlates to how I'm able to manipulate my flex on a front double. When I'm flexing for my posing or whatever, it's I, I I'm literally have trained it so much because it's my last actual exercise and my last actual movement. And so my body just naturally likes doing a front double so much more because I have literally, it, it's essentially weighted front doubles. That's the way that I view a preacher or not preacher, um, overhead uh, curl. Yeah. And that's so, how it should be looked at. Exactly. Much. And that's where I think also my coach's standpoint is because um, especially move, just beginning in the bodybuilding world, like men's physique is like your, your, your entrance basically into obviously if I can put on size, like I'm moving into different categories and whatnot, but men's physique, like you want a really good upper body. Like I know you just posted the, the other day, like, even though you're going to be in board shorts, you're going to fill them, (laughs) you're going to fill them out. But, uh, yeah, we're so focused on upper body in that particular division that being able to have your biceps and an awesome front double is so important. Um, and so I think that, that's why it's in, my coach has it included right now. Um, but I use it just because it helps me to pose better. Um, and I get to do it as my finisher. We go, um, the, I mean, obviously you s- still progressively overload it, but it's less weight, especially considering it's cables. <laughs> People don't yeah. realize that when you, you have to take less weight on a cable because of how much tension is constantly applied. People will try and curl what they curl regular like dumbbell and then try and curl it on a cable and they die because they don't realize how like yeah the the, the pulley just saying fuck you i'm pulling it back like so that's why i take too much heavier absolutely um yeah so i take less weight and i focus on really really slow like these these reps that i'm doing are almost in the six seven second range rather than the standard you know four or five second range where you're yeah focusing on your on negatives but it's it's just such a phenomenal finisher for me and i personally have really good tone when it comes to my biceps i don't have as much size as everybody but i have really good tone and i think personally it's directly correlated to this particular uh movement just because it helps me with my posing so i recommend it for anybody that needs a really good finisher because also I mean, when you do it with a cable, anything cable, you can burn out. You can push yourself to the absolute max. And I think everybody should. I mean, we already talked about cables being incorporated more and more. So give it a try if you if you want a really good finisher. Yeah, that should just be used for, like, getting a finishing pump at the end. Yeah. Um, and just kind of helping with, with that front double pose. I mean, it's not something that – I mean, I haven't incorporated it in, in mine for a while because I have that same problem where – the weight hits like it, it's not far enough of a stretch for me uh, yeah. in the cable machine. So, so like that can be, you can do one side at a time, but then you kind of have to lean into it and it's just not the same. So, you know, I, I used to do it. I just don't really do it anymore, um, but it is a good pump finisher. Uh, if you want to also not, another pump finisher, just do like two sets or do two supersets of dumbbell curls and tricep rope pushdowns. Uh, do like 25 reps per set. And that'd be a good like finishing pump if you want to get some photos or something afterwards. Um, but I mean, obviously that you're just, you're not really taxing the muscle like crazy. Uh, you're just building some blood flow, but um, moving on to delts delts for men's physique is very important. Uh, it's, it's going to be 
I would argue one of the most important. So it's going to come to chest delts and back is going to be um, your top three abs is probably number four. And then, uh, well, if you, if you bundle traps with your back, definitely. And then abs number four and then arms number five is really what it comes down to your obliques uh, do kind of play a role as far as how lean you look. Uh, Cause your obliques, if you have washed out obliques, it'll make you look uh, a bit more watery and fat when it comes to men's physique comp- comp- uh, competing. Um, but when you have diced obliques, it makes you look so much more diced. Even if you have like kind of slightly washed out back or chest or something like that, your obliques being completely diced, just the way your body distributes fat will play a huge role uh, in how you look as far as lean goes. Uh, so your delts play a big role. And the way you got to look at Dallas depends on what you're doing with your physique. If you're competing, which is kind of where my experience comes from. If you're competing, you want the illusion of like basically fucking pumpkins on your arms or on your shoulders. The, uh, you the want death ball shoulders. Yeah, you want implanted death stars is what you want. You want death star <laughs> delts. Um, so that's going to incorporate all three heads, your rear head, your front head, and the side head. Your entire delt is the entirety of your shoulder. That's your delt. Uh, it's your deltoid. But there's going to be three heads, front, side, and rear. Uh, how you build them up is going to depend on genetics. Personally, uh, my rear delt builds up too much. So I have to kind of – I only do really one movement per delt uh, per shoulder day for, for rear delts. If I do more, they become unproportionate. Uh, side delt and front delt. I don't have much good genetics in, uh, but also this is another thing to talk about too, is that your delt size and your delt look is going to come into play when it comes to anabolic steroids. Uh, because just like glutes, uh, there's a lot of oils within your delts. Uh, and a lot of guys use their delts for pinning testosterone. Um, even if you don't pin in your delts, uh, your delts are going to respond very well to, uh, uh, to ster- anabolic steroids because especially when uh, you're taking something that promotes muscle size uh, because it's going to be targeting uh, your androgen receptors and your androgen hormones in general. So we have typically speaking, especially among guys, we have a lot of androgen receptors within our delts. I have a significant amount in my traps. Uh, it's just how I got it genetically, especially for my mom. I got a lot of my Honestly, I got a lot of my natural genetics from my mom when it comes to muscle building. And uh, I got her traps and I got her calves. Uh, so I never really train them too much, um, especially rhomboids. I, I barely train rhomboids. But uh, when it comes to delts, your androgen receptor distribution will play a huge role. And I mean, you could even, if you like, there are dudes who will just start taking testosterone and their delts will come fucking capped. Um, so having capped delts, what that's going to look like. Um, let me look up a comparison photo. Maybe I'll feature this on the blog. Um, uncapped delts. Um, so capped delts are going to kind of look like uh, they're going to have more of a ball shape to them. Uh, so it's going to be that round pumpkin look. Uh, you're going to want that look to it. I don't exactly know why it's even called cap. Capped delts. Um, so when you it's it's a weird it's a weird thing to have because um when you're having a the way it's, it's i think it's called cap delts because it looks like a cap to your arm like you, you're putting a cap over your arm but 
when it comes to cap delts, it's either you don't have cap delts or you do. It's kind of like a like a wall you hit, and uh, when you hit it, it's clear as day. Uh, you kind of see your delts come to a point on your arms. You start seeing them ball out when you're wearing shirts. Um, you start to see them more so in the in the mirror when you're when you're doing a most muscular or something like that. Uh, but until that point, they're going to look kind of soft. They're going to look um, like they kind of combine with your arm and your chest. There's not too much difference between your arm and your shoulders. Uh, but then when you get capped, it's like there's a clear distinction between your your delts and your arms and your chest. Uh, which a lot of the times most guys don't really get to experience until quite a bit into the gym. And also um, a lot of them don't experience it until they're on androgen, uh, well, anabolics ultimately. Uh, so for me, it took a while to build them up. And I've tried everything when it comes to how to train delts. For me, um, it was a combination of because I don't really have too much in uh, androgen receptors in my delts, especially my front delts. My front delts look like shit. But for me, what works for my delts recently has really started to help a drastic amount from week to week. Um, even on TRT, uh, I can notice a ginormous difference in my delts now is strictly volume-based training. Uh, so I've gone through high intensity and high volume, but uh, from what I was experiencing before was I was like, okay, high intensity works better for me. So like eight to 14 reps at the most, 14 at the most is what works for me. But come to find out, it was more because of the movements I was doing rather than the actual volume I was doing. It was my, my shoulders agree less with free weight uh, and they agree a lot more with machine. So I've sent you my shoulder day, um, my shoulder day in the two main volume uh, movements that I do is, so I start off with dumbbell press. I go into lateral cable raises uh, which are just very hard. There's not pump focus. It's just very hard. I do front raises with a bar. Uh, it's, you know, one of those preloaded bars. Um, and I do upright rows with a uh, cable machine and an easy bar attachment. Then I do rear delt machine flies supersetted with front raising with a plate. And I just do a plate for each set and just go till failure. Um, and then I do... Uh, the, the two main ones that have really helped my delts grow in size is that or raise machine reverse drops. What that is, is I start off with, uh, so my first set is 45 pounds of the machine. And then I do 20 reps of that immediately drop set to 50 pounds. So I go up in weight. Then I do 15 reps of that. Then I drop set again up into a higher weight of 55 and do 10, 10 reps of that. So overall I end up doing 45 reps in one set. Uh, and I do four sets of that. And then I move into my FST7 of pin, pin loaded shoulder press. And even by the end of the lateral raise, uh, reverse drop set, my arms are so fucking, my delts are so fried, I can't even lift my arms. And it's just from those two movements, I've noticed a clear difference in my delts. Uh, I think I need to start incorporating something with my front delts, maybe some sort of FST movement instead of the plate raises. But uh, my side delts have drastically uh, increased in size. So that's just how my delts work. Um, but also, like I said, some guys, uh, you know, I do mostly glute pinning when it comes to test, but uh, when it comes to other guys, they might do delt pinning and wherever you pin your test or whatever you're taking, 
that will also help promote muscle growth in that area. You don't, I recommend against anything else besides delt and glutes, just because it can be much more dangerous to pin, let's say your chest or your quads, like some other guys do. Uh, there's not as much oils. It's a lot easier to get infected there. Your body doesn't agree with it as much. It doesn't distribute well, even just don't even do sub Q either. I think unless you're doing TRT and your body agrees with sub Q, but intramuscular definitely do delts or glutes. Uh, and for me, my body agrees more with glutes. Uh, but some guys just, their body agrees very much with delts. So, um, listen to your body when it comes to that, but keep in mind that, um, if you are pitting in your delts, it's going to help with delt you know, slightly, it's going to help with, uh, delt, uh, progression slightly. And then same with glutes, it's going to help slightly with glutes. Um, so something to keep in mind, but yeah, that's how I grow my delts and delts are a huge component when it comes to judging in men's physique. You, it's going to help build that overall V frame, the Dorito shape you're mentioning. Um, <laughs> you know, having that V having that wide shoulder, thin waist, look, your shoulders are going to directly contribute to that. Uh, if you don't have your shoulders there, you're going to look small as hell when it comes to men's physique, especially. And delts is a very relatively easy muscle group to grow. Uh, it just takes effort. That's all it takes. Uh, you don't need to eat anything specific. You don't need to do anything specific. Uh, you just need to do ideally high volume, get a lot of blood flow, just really tax the muscle with a lot of reps, a lot of sets. Uh, and that's how you build your shoulders. Uh, very seldom will high intensity ever build your shoulders, but some do. Mine respond well to high intensity, just not always. And right now, uh, high volume is working better for me, but maybe down the road, I'll try high intensity again and see some good results. We'll see. But that's how mine grow. That's why you hear all over the place spam lat raises. I mean, it, it, lat raises is the example, but spamming. Like you want to be hitting a ton of sets, like Paul just said, because a ton. I mean, that high volume style gets so much more blood flow to your shoulders and your delts need it in order to grow. Um, so uh, a lot of what Paul covered is just in gold. Me personally, I, I have been doing just uh, dumbbell lat raises for a while and coach wants me to go onto um, machine lat raises. So, mm -hmm. um, I know that's for the stability and also being able to really target and build mind muscle connection for, you know, your front rear side, uh, delts instead of just lat raising to oblivion. <laughs> uh, so that's lat raises obviously are the big one for me when it comes to building shoulders. Um, I personally have really good trap strength. Um, I know yeah, we talk about traps sometimes and yeah. com combining with back and whatnot, but I train traps on my, on my, uh, delt day. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me, that's just one, one exercise, just shoulder shrugging and, uh, I can shoulder shrug a fucking Mack truck. Um, but <laughs> obviously not, but that's, I, I have really good strength when it comes to traps. So for me, building size there is progressive overload but that can be really tough for me because gripping that weight is tough so because i'm at the point where i'm going into the 100 110 120 as i think my current split for dumbbells on shoulder shrugging and that's a lot of weight a lot of weight to be gripping so what's for your me looking like uh it's a two second squeeze at the top um so focusing okay. on uh, more the the squeeze at the at the actual upward part of the rep um, and then not a careless drop but certainly not as focused on the time under tension in the negative 
Um, okay. So it's it's getting it upwards, squeezing, and then dropping back down. Um, gotcha. And I just I'm able to do a lot of weight. So for me personally, I do high intensity for my traps. But I agree with lats. Like it is very easy to get a shoulder injury if you fuck up your lat raises and try too much weight or something like that. So it's important to find the weight that you're comfortable with and then progressively overload from there in your own time. Because if you just like the, if you see someone doing forties and you're like, Oh, I'm going to try that. And you try and do that for too long. Like rotator cuff injuries are brutal. So we all have rotator cuff issues. (laughs) Like, especially like me coming from the baseball softball background, like (laughs) I'm just a ticking time bomb when it comes to my rotator cuff. Um, so really make sure you're not overloading to like exactly what Paul was saying. Like high intensity is not always your, your best friend when it comes to dealt, uh, hypertrophy. Um, I don't do it in my current plan, but one exercise that I fell in love with a while back is, uh, oh Christ, what are they called? Arnold raises where you're uh, doing a standard shoulder press and then when you're down in the negative, you swing around and almost activate a little bit of chest while you do it. Yeah, it's um, press. Yeah, though I I I fell in love with those a while back. Um, coach doesn't have me doing them now, but I personally saw a lot of uh, growth when I incorporated those. And those you really can't do heavy sets on because of what you're. I mean, you can, but you should be more focused on uh, making sure you get the the rep absolutely perfect because of how complex it is in the movement um so i personally think that's a really good one if you're looking to build size um everybody should be shoulder pressing this is not (laughs) if you're if you're going in and working delts and you don't shoulder press you got something messed up because okay i me personally it's it's just the best movement in terms of adding weight into your overall um physique like in terms of building your delts for the, the strength purpose not for the look purpose for the strength no purpose. i was gonna say you should have something for shoulder press i agree yeah. i think whether or not you do bar dumbbell machine is completely up to you i think at the end of the day they're all going to kind of result in the same thing um but my what i was going to add was just make sure that you're not doing behind the neck or behind the head shoulder press bullshit because mm. that's just not gonna it, it's that activates your your lower what lower traps almost you're almost it's, doing a back day with the with how it it's almost behind. yeah when it's behind your head it's going to be more of a compound movement than anything i think it's it's almost like if you lean too far back and shoulder press um mm-hmm. but one thing i want to add to that because you did say a lot of lateral raises is um shoulders is very very uh the way the the uh how should i say this the direction that your hand uh, the movement goes in is going to completely determine whether or not you hit a certain head of your delt. Uh, biomechanics is very important when it comes to delts because your delts ultimately do the same thing. Your rear delts essentially raise your arms up and behind you, your side delts to the side of you and front delt to the front of you. That's all they do. I mean, granted, they also press over your head, but uh, that's not often in nature that we're going to be doing that. So it's more <laughs> about raising your arm to the side, front or back. So um, when you're doing some sort of lateral raise, whether it's front raises or side raises, even shoulder press, the degree 
of the movement is going to play a huge role. So something that's a common misconception that I see pretty often is um, when you're doing side lateral raises, you don't want to go straight to the side. Uh, I know that's going to sound kind of uh, counterintuitive, but what you're going to want to actually do is kind of go 70 degrees to like 60 degrees when it comes yeah, to the actual have angle. A, like of the an angle. Yeah, you want you want your arms pretty straight for the most part. You don't want your arms super bent, but you want the weight to be kind of in front of you. You kind of want to go almost diagonally from your body. It's just the way your delts are built. Uh, it's just the way the muscles built. It's just how the mechan- biomechanics work. Same with shoulder press. You can do shoulder press in a pretty inclined bench. Like you can do like a 60 degree inclined bench and still do some sort of shoulder press. Uh, Obviously it's not as effective, but the degree that your shoulder press is going to activate your delts. uh, If you did, let's say you did inclined bench shoulder press, you want your delts to be, so if you're doing incline, which I recommend against, it takes a lot of my muscle connection. If you're going to be doing incline bench um, you're going to want, I'm trying to think you're going to want more, you want a wider grip. Cause if you go more narrow, that's going to end up activating more of your delts. I mean, sorry, you're not your delts, your pecs. So if you go wider with your arms closer to parallel to the, uh, to your, sh- your shoulders, that's going to help targeting your delts a lot more. And then the other thing with shoulder press too, is that you don't want to lean too far back. If you lean too far back on like a flat bench or like not a flat bench, like an upright bench or some sort of chair, you're going to end up targeting your chest a little bit without meaning to, uh, and that's going to help lift the weight. So something to help com- to f- help fight that, just get a bench that goes upright and just make sure that you keep your lower back pretty much resting against the, the bench, and that'll help keep you focused on your delts. Um, so that's going to help with that. When you're doing machine lateral raises, it's the same thing. You want to be kind of standing back a little bit and make sure that the weight is kind of getting displaced diagonally from your body. Uh, it's not directly to your side. Your delts are not going to be lifting your your side delts are not going to be targeted from directly to, from your side. That's more going to be a combination of your side and rear delt. Uh, so just kind of put it in the front of you a little bit, not directly in front of you, but you know if you're at a machine and the handles are, are like in front of your dick, basically <laughs> take like a step back and then do the like. Take like a half step back and then do the reps. Uh, it's going to help target your delts a bit more. Uh, that's how I do my lateral raises, and it's helped me a lot uh, because it is a hard movement to kind of learn how to properly do. A lot of you see when it when it comes to like being new in the gym, there's a lot of different ways. I've seen people do lateral raises. I've seen lateral raises fucking straight up touching at the top. Like I've seen that shit like all the way up. I've seen people do 90 degrees and do this shit. Like they're flying, like they're a chicken. Um, it's fucking wild. Some of the shit I've seen is fucking wild. And it's just, at the end of the day, you want to keep your arms not completely straight, but slightly bent elbows and kind of the weight in front of you. Uh, you also don't want to be swinging the weight. So doing, putting the dumbbells in front of you when you're doing uh side lateral race is perfectly fine. Just make sure that you're not you're not swinging the weight. So a lot of beginners, I recommend against that being, having the weight in front of you uh, when it comes to being the bottom of the rep, because you're going to end up swinging the weight a little bit. Uh, so just make sure that the re- the re- the weight rests at your si- the side of your legs so that you know you're not swinging it, and then bring it up diagonally from there. Um, but if you get into um, you know heavier weight, having the weight in front of you can absolutely work. You just got to be careful of that, um, and then you know, side delt raises with, uh, cables or something like that is the same kind of thing. It's, um, 
making sure that the weight is kind of diagnosed to your body. And if you're going to be doing side delt raises on cables, I also recommend behind the back. So behind the back, have your body kind of angled a little bit. I grab onto the machine just to balance and I lean more into it so I can get a longer stretch. Uh, so I kind of lean to the side a little bit. If like, it's, you know, I'm using my right arm, I lean to the right, kind of put my feet closer together and lean and grab the machine and lean a little bit and have the weight behind me. And then I raise it kind of diagonally to the front of me. So that helps with uh, just overall uh, mind muscle connection, especially if you're starting out. But remember, <laughs> you're going to agree with this stuff. Side lateral races on cables are heavy as fuck. Oh my 10 God. pounds is going to feel like 20 pounds. So the biggest, uh, the biggest like, meme in the gym world is who's the strongest mofo in the gym. And it's the video of the, uh, the animated yeah, the dude, uh, side or lat raising the whole fucking pin. <laughs> yeah. The whole stack. Yes. The, it's the, <laughs> the diagram representing how to hit your side delts. And it's, he's side lateral racing the whole fucking stack. Flawlessly doing it. <laughs> yeah. Like full perfect form, like perfect time under tension. It's like, what the fuck? This dude's like Superman. Yeah. That's, that would be the One strongest day. motherfucker in the gym. I don't know if anybody will ever do that. I mean, it depends Probably on the stack. Not. I think it depends on the cable machine. Like, there's some yeah, cable machines that stacks, are really light. Most stacks can clear 150 easy. And I mean, I, the old gym I went to, Elite Fitness, their stack went up to 140. So, like, okay. I think it's definitely doable. Um, yeah, but not but with the perfect form and the perfect timing <laughs> that video has. You have to be fucking huge <laughs> and exceedingly strong. Like, you're, we're talking yep. like. The top one percent of the top one percent, like ridiculous. Oh, 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 one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like one person can do that, and it's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's how you should be doing it. Delts is very important um, to build the overall look of very round delts. Is going to come from your front delts and your side delts. Your rear delts are going to help with your back pose and men's physique, uh, but your front pose is going to be all front and side. Uh, it's going to create that illusion the illusion of a, a ball on your shoulder, uh, especially front delts. Front delts are going to create, because your side delts will have the rounded part. So it's going to look like a ball pretty much no matter what, but your side delt is whether or not that ball line stretches all the way across your delt into your pec. So your front delts is really what's going to truly create that uh, that difference between your, your shoulders and your arms and your delts is going to create that pumpkin look uh, to it. So, uh, have a heavy focus on front, heavy, have, have a heavy health focus, fuck, have a heavy focus on your front, have a heavy focus on your side, but then, uh, depending on your genetics, whether or not you need to put more into rear is, is up to you. For me, I don't need as much my rear. If I do any more rear than I do, it's going to kind of drown out my triceps when I do a side chest and it's going to kind of look a little wonky when it comes to, uh, back pose and men's physique. So it's just listen to your body and see what, you know, works for you and, compare yourself to bodybuilders. Uh, if you are in bodybuilding, kind of see like, okay, this is how his rear delts look with his physique. Mine look this way. So I think mine are kind of underdeveloped or they're overdeveloped or whatever it is in comparison to proportions of my, my physique. So I think I need to do this or this or whatever it is. So uh, just look at comparisons because shoulders are very important. Uh, I think everybody who plans on competing should have a delt focused day, depending on what you're doing. I think for men's physique, especially, shoulders is so important you should have a delt focus day uh and then some guys even throw in like side lateral raises on like chest day to get like an extra like little push once a week 
uh, to build their delts up, which I've done before. It just, to me, it just wasn't very beneficial, but some dudes do it and that's how they got their shoulders huge. So just do whatever works for you ultimately. Yeah. Coach has my split with, uh, delts, abs and calves, uh, one, one day a week. And that's, yeah, uh, that's accessory shit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But obviously delt focused. The, the other yeah, ones definitely. are just like auxiliary movements. So yeah. Yep. For sure. But yeah. Anything uh, else you want to add to that? No, I was, was going to say if, uh, if you have exercises and movements that you enjoy that you don't hear, uh, us talking about, feel free to, uh, shoot us emails or DMS and we'll just, I mean, we're nerds about this stuff so we can talk for, Long, long time. I mean, <laughs> this episode already, we had a half hour of just shooting the shit about regular bodybuilding and muscle stuff. So if you have anything that you want us to hit on, always feel free to reach out to us. We're always open for that kind of stuff. And uh, just continue to keep uh, lifting those weights and looking good, people. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We'll see you guys later on. Thank you for listening. Uh, spread the word. Get some more listeners in here and make it easier for us to do this. We hope, you enjoy, we hope you guys enjoy the uh, video version of our podcast as well, now that that's new. Hell yeah. Back on with that. <laughs> yep. All right. So we'll be seeing you guys next week then. All right. See you guys. Bye, everybody. Bye.